You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. I have a question for you tomorrow, this morning. This is how we want to start today. What is wrong with the world? Yeah, <laughs> that's an easy question, right? <laughs> what is wrong with the world? Now, there's an international group called Ipsos. It's in uh, Paris, France. And uh, Ipsos asks this question regularly. They do a survey. They're a marketing firm. Uh, they pull people from many different nations. What are your deepest concerns? And they sell what they discover to corporations who will then tailor make their advertising to lead you to believe that they are actually interested in addressing those concerns. Well, Ipsos publish their results when they come out with it. The most recent was June of this year. What's wrong with the world? According to Ipsos, Close to 20,000 surveys in 39 different countries. Here are the top 10 concerns. Inflation, the economy, unemployment. Numbers one, two, and three are money concerns. Issues four, five, and six, crime and violence, greedy corporation, the corruption of governments. Four, five, and six is what's going on around us. Then you get things like climate change, the lack of education, disease. About a year ago, that was number one. Guess why? Immigration control. Now, this is not a study done in the United States. There are 39 countries that respond to this. Immigration ranks in the top 10 in those 39 countries. That's a great list, isn't it? This is what an independent agency says we believe. There's a problem, though, with this list. If you look at it, all of the issues mentioned in the list are external to us. All of the things that are on this list are things over which we have no direct control. At most, we can vote for somebody that might make a slight change in one of these areas. But we don't really control any of these areas. Well, today we start a new series from the book of Romans. And Paul addresses the problem too. What is wrong with the world? Well, what Paul says is the problem is not external to us. 
the problem that has to be addressed is internal to us. We actually do have some control over it. The problem that Paul says we have to address is the problem of sin. So we come up with the question, what do we do about sin? Well, the book of Romans addresses this issue. What do we do about sin? Now, Paul notes that this question, this issue of sin has been around since man was thrown out of the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them, he told them, you can do anything you want. Enjoy this world. You can literally go anywhere you want, do anything that you want, except, and God gave Adam and Eve one stinking command. He said, see that tree over there? Okay, don't eat the fruit. That's all. That's all you have to do. Just don't eat the fruit of that tree over there. So what did Adam and Eve do? They broke out the lawn chairs and they put the chairs underneath that tree. And they sat there and they looked at the fruit and they said, oh, that's nice fruit. And they smelt the fruit and they said, oh, it sure does smell sweet, doesn't it? And sure enough, one stinking command and they broke it and sin started. And sin grew. So God had to do something about it. He told Adam and Eve, you got to leave. you gotta, you got to get out of the garden. Now he told them, now I got three things that I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. And I want you to fill the earth. So Adam and Eve, sure enough, they, they had kids. They had uh, sons, two of those sons, Cain and Abel. Just a chapter later, Cain kills Abel. Now, why did he kill him? He didn't kill him because Abel was mean to him. He didn't kill Abel because Abel was a bad guy. Abel was a very good guy. He killed Abel simply because he was jealous of Abel. Abel made sacrifices to God, and God liked Abel's sacrifices. So King killed him. And look what the Lord says in Genesis 6, 5, after all of this was going on. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything that human beings thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Wow. Everything they thought was evil. It was bad. It was sin. So God has to do something about it. He comes up with another answer. The new answer is, Noah. God says, uh, we're going to take the sin. We're going to destroy the sin. So a flood comes, kills all of the people of the world, except Noah and his family. 
They live on. Noah rides out the storm in an ark. He comes off of the ark. The Lord says, Noah, I've got three simple commands for you. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So what does Noah do? He goes out and he gets drunk and sin continues. Next chapter, you have the Tower of Babel. You know what the issue was at Babel? Babel came together and they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves. It not, it's not just a tower. It's an entire city. In that city, this city will have a tower that reaches into the sky. It'll make us famous. And even though God has said, fill the earth, this city will keep us from being scattered all over the world. They flew directly in the face of what God was asking them to do. They said, let's figure out a way to not do that. So God comes up with another answer. The new answer is a person, Abraham. Abraham walked with God. He was a good guy. He was a great example for us. In fact, God makes a covenant with him. And he does really good. In fact, our series, most of our time is going to be spent in Romans chapter 4, where Paul presents Abraham as an example for us. And there's a lot that we can learn from Abraham. Abraham is a good guy, but his sons and his grandsons are rotten to the core. His grandsons come out. Twins are born to his son. The younger steals from his older brother, steals his birthright. Then he steals his father's blessing. Older brother comes and says, I'm going to kill him. And it wasn't just to say, he meant it. He started looking for Jacob to kill him. So Jacob runs away. Jacob runs to a distant land, and there he meets a young girl. He falls in love with her. He, he marries her, and his father-in-law tricks him. And on the wedding night, her sister shows up. He complains, so the father-in-law says, okay, you can have the younger sister too. And here are two slave girls. And he has children by all four women, six by Leah, two by each one of the others, 12 sons. Ten of those sons, when they go back to Palestine, conspire against the 11th son, and they sell him as a slave. The whole family ends up in Egypt, but God brings them out. God is faithful all the time. God gives them now a law, and he says, just obey the law. You, you apparently want details, so here are some details. Live this way. Here's the law. Well, Israel becomes a nation. That nation eventually has a king, King David. King David, it's said that he's a man after God's own heart. And 
God actually makes a covenant with King David. Look what he says to King David. He says, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Your throne will be secure forever. Great. Things are finally going to go well. So what does David do? He goes out and he rapes the wife of one of his close friends. And then he goes out and he kills his friend so he can take the friend's wife as his own. Sin continues. Sin keeps growing. The whole kingdom is threatened by what David does. David betrays God and the nation learns from him. The nation betrays God as well. All during its existence, it fought to just serve one God. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They kept betraying God. So God sends them out into exile. He eventually brings them back, but they keep on sinning. Now, in a Jewish book that's written at about the time of Paul, this is not from Scripture. This is not a biblical book. What Paul wrote was, but somebody about the same time that Paul was wrote, writing wrote a book that we have come to know as Second Esdras. Listen to what Second Esdras says. Esdras looks at an angel who's come to him from God, and he says, you gave the law to the descendants of Jacob, but you didn't take away from them their evil heart so that your law might bear fruit in them. The author says, the disease that was in man was permanent. The law was in the people's heart along with the evil root. And what was good was choked out, and what was evil remained. Now, it's not biblical, but that's exactly what Paul was saying. Paul, too, was saying, man's heart is full of evil. Look at that quote. Here we sit 2,000 years later, Things haven't changed. The problem is typically not that we don't know the difference between good and bad. We know it. We just do the bad. That's our problem. We live in an evil world. But what Paul is telling us is that the problem is not what is out there. The problem is what is in here. The problem are not the things that are external to us. The problem is the sin that lives in our own heart. And so we have a new question that comes to us. What do we do about sin? What do we do about what's within us? Well, in the book of Romans, Paul actually answers this question. He starts with a very simple statement. It's kind of a thesis statement, very close 
to the beginning of the book of Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's power to save everyone who believes. First the Jews believed, and then the Gentiles believed. For God revealed his solution to the sin problem based on his son's faithfulness for all those who believe in him. Like it's written, the one who is justified by faith will live. Now, I want to draw your attention to the version that I read. This is the RSV. This is the Randy Spate version. I couldn't find a single version that included everything that I really wanted in the way that I wanted to say it. So I translated this passage, and I'll stand by this translation. It is a good translation. I have reasons for everything that I say there. I say this after having studied the book of Roman for a couple of years, and then coming back to the thesis statement. We're going to come back to that thesis statement in just a little bit. But the core of it, Paul says God deals with the problem of sin himself. The history of the world is the history of man trying to fix the problem of sin on his own. Said to Adam and Eve, one single simple little command, and they couldn't do it. So he said, well, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They didn't do that. So he destroyed it all, started over again. Noah couldn't do it. And then Abraham, Abraham was okay, but his sons were a mess. Then Israel, then even the people that God blessed by saying, your throne will be an eternal throne ended up doing unspeakable, unthinkable things. This is really good news. God deals with the problem of sin himself. He sent himself, the second person of Godhead. Jesus, the Son, comes and dies for us to deal with the problem of sin. This is great news. You can see why the early gospel writers called this good news, gospel. But there's a problem. If this is true, we go back to our original question, what's wrong with the world? The world we live in doesn't look like this, does it? Well, Paul tells us why. He goes on. Now, if you have your Bible with you, open it up to Romans chapter 1, or if you have it on your phone, you can look in Romans chapter 1, read along to make sure that I'm not feeding you a line, that, that I'm saying what is actually in the passage. In the passage, in chapter 1, what Paul says is that God can't show his salvation because right now the world is so full of sin. We see God's wrath instead of seeing God's righteousness because the world is so full of sin. In fact, it is so full of sin that Paul repeats three times, God turned them over to themselves. First, he says, God abandoned them. He turned them over to themselves. 
to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. He literally says, they're dishonoring lust. The lust that they have that dishonors them and dishonors me. He says, secondly, God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Now he literally says, their passions that degrade them. Their passions that make them less than human. And their passions whereby they make those around them less than human. And then finally, God abandoned them to their foolish thinking. He literally says to their twisted minds. Chapter 2, the first part. Paul goes on and he tells us that everyone everywhere is stubborn in living in their sin. At the end of that chapter, he looks to the Jews and he says, you Jews, you, you uh, brag about yourselves that you are God's chosen people called to be the solution. Stop bragging. Look at yourself. You're no different from anyone else. The heart of evil that lives in everyone else lives in you as well. Romans 3, the first eight verses, Paul tells us the problem is not God. God has done his part. God has tried. It's we who have failed. We failed God at every turn. And then in the last part, of Romans chapter 3. Paul quotes scripture. Now, in your Bibles, you may find these verses sort of indented. That's the editor's way of letting us know that this actually is a quotation that comes from the Old Testament. Paul starts by quoting Psalm 14 and 53, which are identical. No one is righteous, not even one. Paul starts by saying, there's no justice in this world. No one is truly wise, so there's no wisdom either. No one is seeking God. There is no spirituality in this world. It's not true spirituality. There are people who say they're spiritual, but typically what they're doing is talking about themselves. It's an egotistical self-awareness that they're talking about. Paul goes on, all have turned away. People have isolated themselves. They have all become useless. The Hebrew word actually means corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. There's no kindness in the world. Please and thank you have all but disappeared. Sir and ma'am, they're gone. They're things of the past. People are not kind. Paul moves to Psalm 5. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Foul speech. Don't believe it? 
Turn on your television. Listen for a few minutes. Watch politicians talk about the other side of the aisle. Paul also quotes Psalm 10 here. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Then he goes on, he quotes Isaiah 59. They rush to commit murder, destruction, and misery. Always follow them. There's violence in the world that we live in. And then he says, they don't know where to find peace. We look around. And if there's one thing we lack, it's peace. He finishes up by quoting Psalm 36. They have no fear of God at all. Look at that list. Take a good long look at that list. Paul was writing about a world that he lived in 2,000 years ago. He was quoting scriptures from 1,000 years before. It was true then. It was true in Paul's age. And it is true now. This is the world that we live in. No justice, no wisdom, no spirituality. We isolate ourselves from each other. There is no kindness, foul speech, violence. There is no peace. There is no fear of God. So let's go back to that thesis statement. If God deals with this world, how is it that he deals with this world? First of all, Paul says the gospel is God's power to save those who believe. The first thing Paul says is that the solution will not come from us. It comes from God. The gospel is not our power. The gospel is not the power of the church. The gospel is not the power of a spiritual leader. It's God's power. God is the only one who can deal with this problem. And so he does. The way he does this is by coming himself. Jesus, who was God, was faithful and died for our sin. Jesus took the penalty of sin on himself. And he died in our place. So we need to believe. And we need to stay faithful to what God has called us to do. If we do that, we are justified by faith. And we will live. That's what Paul's saying. In a word, Paul is saying that the problem is within us. The problem of the world is sin. The solution is Jesus. Now next week, we're going to look more closely at the solution. We're going to look at the answer to the problem of sin. But this week, let's look at ourselves. Let's bring up that list of things that Paul saw from Scripture. Nine things. We don't treat others fairly. We're not wise. God doesn't interest us. We try to keep others out of our world. We're not kind. 
Our speech is vulgar. We do anything to get what we want. We have no peace, and we don't recognize God. Paul is saying that this problem, the problem of sin, it's not what's out there, it's what's in here. This morning as we finish up the sermon, I want to encourage you to take a look at this list. We're going to leave it up here for about 30 seconds. Where are you on this list? Which issue or issues is God talking to you about right now? Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.